Welcome to the Career Guy Podcast, a chance to talk with different people and share stories about their careers and career paths, giving you an insightful look at different careers that do exist. Here's your host, Mickey Horvath. This is the final part of a two-part interview with Henry Hugh. Principal and Creative Director at States of Matter, a marketing firm located in Seattle, Washington. This segment starts as Henry is leaving Purdue University and moving forward by attending Cornish College in Seattle, Washington, where he's working on an associate degree in engineering. He talks about the variances from Purdue to a school such as Cornish College. There are some surprises here. But more importantly, he talks about how he started to discover his passion for the arts. In doing so, he realized that arts are important. It requires just as much work and discipline as engineering. Above all, he started to understand where he could use the arts, such as industrial design, graphic arts, and marketing. He talks about how he pursued marketing and developed it into a career in this field. In doing so, he talks about his education in marketing, working in this business, and starting and building his firm, States of Matter. There are some real insights for anyone interested in pursuing a career as a marketer or wants to hire one. This interview will cater to anyone who needs a morale boost after being on the wrong career path, such as Henry. He is a good example of how someone like him can figure it out and that there is a silver lining. It will also appeal to anyone interested in the arts, industrial design, graphic arts, entrepreneurship, as Henry started his firm as indicated. This is truly an inspiring, educational, and eye-opening interview. And with that, I would like to welcome Henry. But it wasn't over because obviously you're still around and there is another chop to your life. But uh, let's spend about a couple of minutes on what did you do when you finally got kicked out? Like what actually happened? I mean, obviously you're low, you're you're probably bummed out, you're very depressed, your confidence is low. So when you told your parents, how did that go? They were disappointed, highly disappointed. It was as expected. I've never had a really great relationship with my parents, particularly my dad. So his reaction when I broke the news to him wasn't as bad as I thought what he was going to say or do. So that felt a little bit better. But I think the dynamic definitely changed even more. But at that point, they moved over to Seattle, Paulsville, a little suburb. And I've got no place to go. So I moved back home to Seattle. And I kind of knew that I had to do something and I didn't even have a anything to show for my degree. So I enrolled in a community college here and I just maxed out the credits. And then I took some classes and uh, to get at least associate's degree in mechanical engineering, which they needed a couple other classes to round it out. And um, even though they said like, oh, everything transferred. So I did that for about a year. And so I took statistics. I took thermo again, because for some reason they wanted me to have thermo again. And I took some finance classes and I took accounting classes. And of course, I I added a lot of art into the curriculum. I basically filled out with like, oh, some drawing classes, art history. And the great thing about college is they say, you don't have to be here if you don't want to show up. 
here's the test, here's the schedule, here's the book. I am so used to Purdue just going, here's the stuff, here's all this new tech, here's a new computer, here's a new program. Spit out the algorithm, spit out the chart, turn your homework in. And so the interesting thing was, I didn't think I absorbed anything when I was at Purdue. But once I got into community college and the statistics class was kind of humorous because that was supposed to be the hardest one in the school because I didn't go in at all. I just took the test. I just perused through the reference manual. So all I did there was I sat on the seat that was closest to the exit, to the door. And I literally took all the classes, took all the quizzes, all that came in to take all the quizzes and the exams turned them in, walked out. And at the end of the semester, the last test, the teacher basically stopped me and he noticed you just come into my class. You just come in for the quizzes and the tests and walk and then you leave. I'm going, yeah, is there a problem with that? Like, oh no, you're just scoring like 98%. Where did you go before? I'm going, oh yeah, I went to Purdue. I went to engineering school and I don't even remember the highest level of math I had at Purdue. It was something ridiculous level, which I forget even the title of it now. Oh, I get it. And he was like, okay, you're scoring like 98%. Okay, thank you. It was very surprising because I absorbed it. Just perusing through the, the book, I was like, oh, I got that. I know what that reason is. It wasn't until at that moment that, oh, I actually learned something at Purdue. Obviously you did. I mean, sure. So your confidence is probably coming back up a little bit more. So is it not? It was coming up but not from those. It was coming up because of the art classes that I was taking. Let's talk about that. Is that you did mention that as you were talking about going to this community college, as you're taking your associate degree in engineering, but you said you filled up a lot of your options with art classes. So let's hear about that. Yeah, yeah so I took art history and I took a drawing class. I've always been interested in art and art history. I like history because it's storytelling, and, but it depends on the teacher. And this artist history teacher was fantastic. You know, she told these stories about all the artists, their history, their lives, what this painting meant, what frame of mind they were doing, who they were competing against. And that was just fascinating. And one of the things with art history is they tell about all these people that's essentially not normal. The most important thing was they started out art because they kind of had to, and yet it was their calling, but they poured so many hours into it and then so much time to, to do this because it felt good to them and they wanted to say something and this is how they communicated. And she was so colorful and storytelling and she connected the dot of the importance of an artist and what they're trying to say. And they were just as important and sometimes even more so than any manufacturer or what people value. Because without art, the other beautiful parts are what makes a car. Definitely is important. And it sounds to me it resonated with you quite a bit. Yeah, all of a sudden, between that and the drawing teacher who corrected my thinking that art just doesn't come naturally. You have to work for it and you can practice it. And there's forms of it that you just learn the skill and then taking it through to the higher levels is really up to you. It's how you want to create. 
but you have to learn the basics. And like everything, art, you have to work just as hard on it. You have to practice. You have to study. You have to do all these things. You have to learn. You have to, you can apply chemistry. You can apply science to it. And then he showed some art pieces and he's this drawing, you think this drawing took like an hour? And this takes, this is months. And some artists work on their pieces of art for years. And I'm like, what? How is that possible? How do you come back to focus? They wanted to do it. And this is part of the work. And you have to honor and respect. So that perspective really resonated with me. And also while I was doing it, I just felt euphoria when I was in art history class and drawing. And then it just dawned on me. I'm going, man, if I feel this way, if I feel this way, wholeheartedly and my body feels that this is so right i'm like this is worth more than any amount of money that i would make and i don't need to go and chase after the money but this feels really really right and so well obviously it sounded to me like a those teachers like you mentioned it gave you a different perspective on it first of all you respected the art i mean they they showed you how it's not something flaky as a, as a lot of people would think, it is serious and it does take a lot of work and not just talent, but work. You really have to work at it. And it's also used throughout our whole culture too, that there is something significant to it. It seems like we brush it off, but we don't. We had, it's actually a big part of it. You mentioned cars and cars are more than just engineering. There's a lot of artwork in cars as well, not to mention furniture or anything in our households and whatnot. So there's a lot of artwork involved in just throughout our entire lives. We just maybe just take it for granted is what it is. Obviously, something sparked inside of you. So, so you obviously saw opportunities with this. Even through high school, I was growing up in the Midwest. Cars is just automatic. And for me, I actually wanted to design cars. I just didn't know that that was a thing. I subscribed to all the car magazines. I got them all the time. I drew cars. I designed cars. I even tried to make a model of a car. I just couldn't find any information in Michigan, anything about how to design or figure out a car back in the 80s. There's nothing. But I also knew when I was graduating, I was like, oh, to be a car designer, there's only essentially two or three car designer positions open in the entire world. Because once you're in, you kind of like keep designing cars until someone retires. You don't get into designing cars because there's only so many car companies. So I didn't know that. And fast forward back to the community college. And then I learned, oh, that's kind of like what it takes, huh? And so I talked to my art teacher about it. And she was called industrial design. You want to be an industrial designer. And I'm going, oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Because being an artist, I was still unsure of. But being a designer to solve a problem, I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting. I could get behind that. And then also I was like, hey, I could still take my shot at to design cars. I was like, if I'm having this much fun, I'm going to try figuring out how to design stuff. And our industrial designer doesn't just design cars. I found out that you could design any product is industrial design. It's matching of a designed product or thing with the ergonomics or the use by a human being. It's the, it's in between interface between machine or software. You have to have logic and you have to have beauty. I'm going, that feels pretty good to me. That's why I liked it. 
And so I found out I couldn't afford the, the two big art schools that's known for car design. There's one in Milan and one in California, Pasadena School of Art and Design. And I don't have the money for that. So I was like, I'm going to go to UW. And I didn't apply early enough. So I was going to miss the application again to UW. And so I was able to apply to go to Cornish, where I found out that there's graphic design. And those credits that I take transferred. So my plan was to go to Cornish for a year, learning design, graphic design, and getting the basic curriculum down, and then applying to UW for industrial design. And so that's what I did. I got into Cornish, found out about graphic design, and I found out about the higher level, what ultimately graphic design can do, which is branding. And I found out what branding can do, which is essentially sets the strategy, figure out how a brand should look and be perceived. And I'm going, wait, that's even better than designing a car. I could actually tell the car company which direction their cars should look. And I get to design these things and I found out along the way, like, oh, graphic designer gets to design a logo. I'm like, wait, a logo actually lasts longer than actually the specific car design too. So I was going, oh my God. So once I figured that out, I'm going, wow. And then throughout my career later, I learned out even the higher level of branding, which I'm going, oh, wow. And so that was, but that all of it was because I just ended up realizing that going into the art creative field is amazing as long as you enjoy it. It sounded like to me like it was just getting better and better and better. More opportunities were popping up for you because you were more engaged with it. Obviously, when you went to Cornish, all these opportunities kind of came up. So after you finished Cornish, which school did you go to afterwards then? For or did you, go to, did you go back to industrial design? No, I decided not to do industrial design at all. I decided to just finish out at Cornish. I, I didn't have enough credits to graduate within two years. So I had to stay for three years there. But essentially, I loved it. Like It felt like vacation for three years. It just, I think, looking back at it, I probably pulled just as many all-nighters as I did when I was at Purdue as I did at Cornish. But the difference was it was happily done. And everything I was doing to do work on the project was because I wanted to try something else out to figure out something versus doing the work to satisfy the class. So in other words, let me see if I understand everything correctly. Well, first of all, you're enjoying the work. That's one thing. But having said that, when you're pulling the all-nighters or when you're trying to do something or you're trying to solve a problem, you're, you're just not trying to plow through and do the work and just get it done to hand it in. You're actually, in your mind, you're, ex you're willing to experiment. You're willing to say, okay, is there a better way of doing this? So the results are going to be better. You're willing to play with it and, and invest the time into that. Because to do that, you have to invest the time and the effort into doing that. But you're enjoying it and you're willing to do that. Yeah, every project that I did, I wanted to try some different ways to go about it or i wanted to hone that specific skill higher or i wanted to use that combination of skill sets or different ways of doing it and solving that problem completely different in a lot of ways i took the project that was assigned twisted it up to be an assignment that i wanted to do 
Let's talk about this for a minute before we get into what you did after you graduated. What kind of projects are you doing in, in school? I'm curious about that. Yeah, so Cornish College of Art and Design is essentially an art school. It is literally about maybe two, 3,000 people, kids. It's a small school in Seattle here. And the first year was essentially figure drawing. The teacher didn't teach me how to draw. She just like, oh, just keep drawing the, drawing the models. And then there was a design class where they were trying to teach the fundamentals of drawing letters, letter forms, different calligraphy, practicing that. Then there was the design projects of, hey, design a package for this, design a logo and a stationary system for this, design a brochure for this. This was in the late 90s, so it was before websites. Also, in the 90s, it was also the transition time between Traditional graphic design was everything was still drawn and cut, like lino cut and all. It was just super tedious. And if it wasn't for the advent of the Apple computer being for desktop publishing, I probably would not. I probably would be industrial because just the tediousness of cutting lines of text and letters to make text and paragraphs for a brochure, it just took forever. And so that's not fun to do that. And then it has to be perfect and measured and everything. It's like it's, that was way too tedious. But during this time, you get to use the computer, the set type, and to design. So it was just enough computer power. And Photoshop was getting big. And then so you could do some layout programs that was able to do those things a lot faster and efficient and allow the creativity to flow. And the Professors that was teaching us didn't know those programs as well as the, us students, technically. And then me coming out of engineering, it's not a problem for me. And I, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So they're throwing technology at me, and I'm still doing it. And then some website components during the end of my program where nobody was doing it. But I was like, okay, how do you figure this thing out? And so it became interesting because it was on the verge of the fusion of new technology with art. And so that became so enticing because it tapped into some of these engineering things, analytical, and then being able to understand some of the new innovation stuff and make practical use of it, where it wasn't just doing the math behind it or the programming code. And I was like, whoa, this feels way more tangible. And so I just started to love that. So everything was very hands-on. In design school, you doing the projects, the way about discussing it was very much different than the engineering-centric side. So in the engineering school, we barely were working together. But in the design classes, even though we we're doing our each own individual project, but every class was weaved around critique, positive critique and criticism. You had to put your work up and you had to talk about it. And you have to create suggestions and that helped push the ball forward to learn from your classmates. And so it was a very dynamic, collaborative thing. And because the classes were so small, my graduating class was essentially 18 people and for the most part. So it became three years of working with close friends. And so we'd go out and have drinks and beers and we're talking about the work and how to improve on each other's work, giving each other ideas. Cross-pollination was just 
so great. It just felt like everybody was learning from each other and teaching each other and everyone was just being supportive. And it was just phenomenal. Sounds like a, a real contrast from where you started up with Purdue, where it's very competitive, very big numbers, lots of students. And Cornish, yep. where class size, is, you said 18 people, but it's really collaborative. Everybody's very supportive. Everybody's really willing to share ideas. But at the same time, though, too, for you more specifically, though, too, I mean, your background in engineering, your technical background, it, it seems to be really meshing really well with your artistic skills. Because this is in the early 90s, mid 90s, where technology is getting traction and yeah. it's building and it's, and it's pushing the boundaries of everything. Because you're technically competent, you were able to really mesh the two together and embrace both of them. So you really excelled at that. Yeah, it felt like that was essentially my calling. So once I saw the the computer mesh and understand the logic behind it, and then the logic behind why I need to create a visual that feels like this and also communicates this, the one thing that I learned from engineering that had carry through uh, when I taught some design classes, I use this one statement all the time. In order to solve the problem, you have to go all the way back to see if you're asking what the question that the problem is solved. What are you trying to solve? First, you need to go there. And then you, and then once you write that down, and also you need to go like, what is the question that's going to lead you to start solving the problem? And if you don't know what the problem is, you better go there first. And so what an engineer is, you're solving a problem. And then so at the end of the day, design is about solving a problem. And so when I was doing design, that's how I looked at it. Because in, in, in design school, they said, your job is not to make this pretty. The role of graphic design is visual communication. You're going to communicate something. So at the end of the day, you need to figure out what are you trying to communicate. And so that's the key premise. And so each project was, what are you trying to communicate? And of course, even in some of the drawing classes that they had, like life drawing, the professor didn't ask that, but I'm going, well, I'm in design. If they didn't set that tone, I'm going to go, what am I trying to solve here? And then, so this is about getting better at drawing so that I could solve when I need to illustrate movement this better. So I applied it to that. And then in other classes, I just applied that practice of what it is it that I'm trying to solve. And so I would give the professors, the teachers a hard time if they gave a brief to the project, superficial and shallow. And there you go. Design a brand for a coffee place, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going, why? What's the problem? Give me some more context here so I don't have to like make believe everything. And so you make it a little bit more realistic to the challenge so that it applies better. And so that's what I did. And through all the projects that I did, I just kept on amping on what is the problem. And because the problem will tell you what the solution is. It sounds like to me like you were able to apply your logic that you learned from engineering and also going back to what you said you were in high school you and your brother, and you, you inherited this from your dad. Your dad was very logical. And you're applying that to your, your design techniques to improve yourself as well to understand the problem so you can actually produce a design that would suit the client's needs better. 
it, it sounds to me too that you were willing to work hard as well, and you developed that skill set in Purdue as well. Purdue, it was a forced discipline of doing it at the Cornish and in design. It it just came naturally. It just felt the trial and error in engineering. I just didn't enjoy that form of trial and error. I just realized that I work differently. The contrast, like you said, in engineering to to design was that in engineering, I realized that they just wanted you to solve it yourself. And the times when you were solving it together, no one was practicing how to solve it together when they threw us all in the group. Nobody knew how to do it better. And it was really striking because we had an engineering class that they separated us and um, they had us take a test, a survival test individually by ranking items. And I scored higher when I was doing it by myself than when I was working in a group of four. And that was crazy. It's like, you're supposed to work better as a group. And the thing is that I realized that in the engineering school, they didn't teach that or they didn't foster that at all. And at least in design school, that collaboration is drastically necessary. And without that collaboration, the actual work of design in business would not be as great as what everybody sees. That level of collaboration is invisible, but I think it's inherently there more in design than it is in engineering. With my experience, I think if you can work with other people, I think that's key. You have to be able to spin ideas off other people and you can't know everything. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just impossible, I think, to know everything and to be able to spin ideas off other people and learn from other people and then carry forward that way, I think is essential. I just noticed that all the time I was in engineering in college, it wasn't fostered. It wasn't a skill that was being shown or demonstrated or illustrated. And for me in the design setting in art school, it was shown. And then once professionally, oh yeah, you have to be able to collaborate. But the problem is that I'm seeing some of the tech people have a hard time collaborating because we're in practice of it during college as much as and working for one of the bigger design agency and then having run my own team as an owner. That collaboration front, that one was quite a doozy to handle. But it was definitely an ingredient in how successful a company is by how well they could get that culture to collaborate. Well, we talk about that for a few minutes now, too. So that you're graduating out of Cornish. So what's your first job? Or what was your next move afterwards? When I was in uh, Cornish, my confidence level just went all, all the way back up, probably even higher than in high school. I loved my friends. I loved what I was going about to do. I also knew that I wanted my own business by the time I was in the second year of design school. And I had by then figured out what the typical trajectory is, and I found all kinds of examples of what to do. And in design or creative or advertising, it's all about your portfolio and it's all about the job that you get, the experience you get. And so I basically set my sights on a target of going, I need to graduate with the most ridiculous portfolio in order to get into the best design agencies within the country. I didn't care where it was going to be. 
I like Seattle. I wouldn't mind in Seattle. So I first targeted the Seattle agencies before I targeted anybody else. I spent two years essentially creating a portfolio using everything that I learned and everything that I think design and branding is and applied it to my portfolio, which is a design problem. I was trying to sell myself. And so the goal is to do that. And so I designed a portfolio and all the pieces of work in there to essentially get me a job in the top agencies. And so I knew that if I won an award as the top student designer, that my chances were probably super high. So I did that. I made a portfolio and I won two years straight being the top designer in the region. And typically people make one portfolio. When I graduated, I made three to send out. And these portfolios were really elaborate. So once people touched the box or saw what my portfolio was, they just had to stop and look at it. And so the first portfolio I dropped off to a company called Horno Anderson at the time. They were one of the best top three in Seattle. I got a call back before I got home to come in for an interview. And that happened to be the, like the best place for me. And it was phenomenal. I want to ask you a couple of questions. What's in the portfolio? What, what do you actually put in there? That's- so graphic designers or branding designers at that time, essentially back in the early 2000s, the businesses bought branding and branding to them at that time was the execution of a logo. The corporate identity, was it say, what does a package look like? Packaging design. And then brochure, how well you could design a brochure, the layout, how clear and concise and beautiful you could use it, how well you could use letters or letter forms, color, letter typography, and packaging is like form factor. Can you come up with really good, interesting, unique shapes that make sense? And then the logic behind it. And then how well you could just succinctly put everything together and then make it producible. So... Traditionally, back then, the portfolio was essentially a black folder, and people took printouts and pictures of their work and put it into this black folder, portfolio folder, and then dropped it off. But some people did what I did, which was I essentially made and manufactured three custom glass and wooden boxes, something that's unheard of, that's unexpected for a student graduating to come up with something that dimensional and with different materials. And then the way the pieces were presented and shown was something to be looked at and observed. And so everything basically still met the criteria. I want to see you do a logo. I want to see you do this, this. And all those was executed, at least at the time for me, what I thought was really well done and what was considered really good design at that time. And so I made three of these boxes and I dropped off. And of course, there was a business card and a resume, but a designer's resume is different looking layout-wise than a traditional resume. So let me ask you, as far as your portfolio is concerned, were were these for fictional companies or non-fictional companies? They're mostly fictional. So they are made-up projects or you pick a company to redevelop something. Sometimes as a... You're able to be an intern in a company or some small businesses would like to hire students to design something. And that rate, you might have 
one or two things that's real for a really small mom and pop business in there. But for the most part, it's not real. It's not a real company. It's right. basically will look like a real company and the best designers can create something that actually for the professional designer that looks like, well, this is better than what is there. Also, you said your resume, a designer's resume is different. How is it different? Explain to us. Because again, somebody who's listening to this might want to follow your path. So how, what would they do? Yeah. So it's based on like, what's the function of the resume? It needs to portray what your work history is, what you're good at, what your skill set is. But you're a designer. You are designed to make it highlight the most important things that's going to serve you and also the employer that's looking at it. So you need to make it very easy for them to scan and understand very quickly what it is that you're good at. And at the same time, this thing better look exceptionally stunning, meaning that the typography that you choose and the letter forms and the fonts that you choose is not only legible, but really appropriate. And that it should reflect that student or that person's personality. So the paper choice, the way that they lay it out, their use of color on there, their decision not to use color, what to highlight most, make it very scannable. And if the rules are that you can't have a resume longer than one page, how are you going to fit everything in so that it's still legible and looks really For me, being on the flip side of hiring, if a designer shows me a design that I could tell comes out straight out of Microsoft Word, and it doesn't look like it's being used and the hierarchy is all equal, meaning there's a bold and a regular, that's it. I'm going, you're not a designer. I don't care if your portfolio is great. I would not even call them in for an interview because lacks this criteria of applying your skill set to the into the details. In a nutshell, it should be way more beautiful and easy to read and almost as if it's a work of art. Well, you're branding yourself. You're being hired to brand or design for other companies. So you should be able to do that for yourself. And if you can't do that for yourself, well, then how could you do that for somebody else? So then you graduated and you got hired by... Uh, Horno Anderson Design. So then this is your first real professional job. So what's your first title? What were you actually doing for this business? I was doing everything that I was doing in design school. I was designing logos, websites, packaging, brochures. I was actually lucky enough to let me do all of those things. Typically, each of those things that I've told you, some designers is only able to cover one or two of those disciplines. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just wanted to do everything because I wanted to try everything. But I was hired, essentially my title was junior designer. Incidentally, when I was going to Cornish, I actually held a part-time job working in-house for a furniture company. So I was designing a lot of their sales tags, other things. I was able to learn photography from a professional photographer that my boss paid for. So I was doing that while I was going to Cornish because it helped pay for my life a little bit. So when I graduated, I had that experience, even though that work doesn't pertain, but it gave me experience into seeing what another type of designer would be doing. And so when I was at Horno Anderson, I got to do all those things and it was fun. But at the same time, all of a sudden working for an agency like that is like 
the jump between college level sports team and all of a sudden you're in the pros and everyone is a superstar. So I spent first three months I was there, I was going, I'm going to get fired because they didn't choose anything of mine to, uh, to push through or take forward. And so a, a normal design critique in um, Porno Anderson. So let's say we get a project. So we design a logo for a new tech company. They would throw five to 10 designers on a logo project for this company. It is essentially roughly what you would envision what TV did. You see a huge wall of these logo options and the creative director walks over and then they have the designer or whoever try to sell and pitch them. I sketched this and I designed this logo. And then you got to tell them why you designed it this way. What is it trying to communicate? Why is it appropriate for this company? And all of those things. And you, meanwhile, you're trying to sketch a ton of logos. And so you have a huge wall in the conference room and you got five to 10 people, depending on how important that project is. Some of them literally are every single one of them is the superstar. <laughs> it's just like going to play basketball with Michael Jordan or Charles Barkley. I'm supposed to be able to do this alone. And so it was a very intimidating factor. And then the boss is, is really great, but as the creative director was asking questions, it was very intimidating. And for the first few months, mine was never really talked about that much. What's well, a shell shock? Obviously, yeah. you're going, hey, you said you're, you're coming out of university or college and you're being thrown in a bunch of professionals, people with years and years of experience. So there's a learning curve to that as well. I got the hang of it because I didn't really change anything I was doing. I was like, okay, well, one day it's just going to click, hopefully. So, okay, a couple of things. Uh, how long were you there? I was there for about six, six and a half years. Six and a half years. So obviously your skill did, you became a lot more proficient at what, what you were doing at designing. This may be a really hard question, but how does your skill improve? What sets apart from somebody like yourself, who's just graduating to somebody maybe with five or six years experience? You mean what's the gap between college and professional? That's right. Yeah. That's a better way of saying. Okay. The graduating student now. I would say one of the key things is the speed of which you have to come up with your best ideas is at least three to five times, sometimes 10 times as fast. So meaning as an example, for a student to come up with a logo, typically that project is a one month, one month, maybe a whole semester or semester thing. And they're creating like, here's a logo, business card, here's how it might apply to a menu or something simple. Well, professionally, that's expected in a week. And it's expected you come up with multiple different ideas of that same thing. So if you're redesigning for, let's say, a juice box, juice company, you gotta come up with five logos, and I don't mean versions of it, just can't be different colors. It's gotta be five different ways to go about that logo that looks different from each other, but still means the same thing for the company. And so you have to do that within a week's time, and then it's gotta be presented in a week, and it has to be very tight. So that speed of thinking and craftsmanship and fine tuning happens. Super fast. And meanwhile, that's not your only project. 
you might be doing two or three projects at the same time. And so it could be you're working on a logo and then you're working on a package, or you might be actually working on a visual design of a few website pages. And so if you're doing that, you could see that like the speed and the shift in thinking between designing one symbol and the shift of thinking to designing a website that needs you to consider what happens when the page shrinks and expands and does different things. The typography, the color, the photography, the illustration. Does the illustration convey what the text is saying? All those things has to be done and you're expected to show a couple different versions of that and juggle that within that time. In school, you have a lot of time to do that, a lot of time to figure it out. It's just not that way. In the real world, in business, you have to be that fast. And on top of that, there's actually no teaching within design school of how students needs to be able to present and communicate their work to their peers, to their directors, and to the client that relates to their business. Besides, oh, I designed this logo because it's square. I decided to design it because it's square. It looks more interesting or it does this. They're not coaching them on how to tie it back. This is designed to look this way because your business is trying to do this. And it says this, and we're trying to correct for what your business did here. And so it needs to look like this. And that's not being at least seated so that when they're working, they're more able to communicate. Because unfortunately, the creative directors and the directors don't have the time to think deeply as much as the designer. And they're hoping that the designers give them something that relates better rather than searching for something that's like, oh, this just looks pretty. But the client can be like, how does this relate to what I'm doing? This is really interesting though, because I know you own your own firm. So mm -hmm. when, when a customer comes through your door, a client, and they manufacture whatever it is, water bottles or something like that, what do you do with that customer? Do you sit down with them and just pick at their brain or do, do they open up or do they show you what they have already? How, how does it actually all work? So the first conversation I typically ask them is, why do you need this water bottle? And why do you need to redesign this thing? Or why do you need the design of this water bottle? And I need to understand what is the importance of this product to their business and to them. So I understand the importance of this product for their company. And so hopefully I'm getting it from the CEO directly from the decision maker's mind so that they could tell me the importance of this product to their company. Because if it's a couple layers down and they know we need this because it increases bottom line revenue, then it tells me that we may not get to the meat of what exactly this product needs to truly communicate to the audience. So I need to get to the bottom why this is important. And then let's say we get to that understanding and why that is important and what the undercurrent of this product means for them. Then we would make a recommendation. We would figure out what type of work or processes apply to that in order to figure out what the best approach is to design or redesign this product or package for them. And so we'd, we'd go through some of the process of interviewing the core stakeholders in their team. What is this company about? What is the history? What is this product? What does this, this thing mean to the, each of the individual stakeholders? 
And then also, if possible, we want to take the assumption of going like, who is the audience? Who's the customer that's ultimately going to buy this and why? And try to figure out if those same reasons is going to kind of match the intent of the company. The, um, the company doesn't know. There's things that we can do to f- try to figure out why. What is it that might resonate with the customers a little bit more so that we could take those things that resonate and then also resonate with the company itself and design to surface those things out into the design of that product or how to say it. And so that's the first part. That's kind of defining the question and defining what we need to know and what qualities and things about this product it needs to convey or communicate either on a product itself or down the line for marketing components in a website or marketing so that it's like all tuned together. Even though they might just go like, oh, I just need a package for the bottle. But it's important to be able to dissect and level it out to understand for different stakeholders that they might not misconstrued. So to be able to help facilitate the company so that it's more efficient to get to the bottom solution, we need to know all the pitfalls and the challenges internally ahead of time. So as we're presenting, we get some stakeholders that just wants to be the loudest person in the room or the one that's favorite. But meanwhile, we have undercurrent from what the business is trying to go for that we could help to facilitate this to get to the bottom line. This package needs to do this. And since we interview some customers or test it out to what the customer is saying, we could use that to help convey. This is some feedback and thoughts from your customer. So this is what they're saying. It's contrary to what you want. I know that you might think you just want this looks prettier, but it's going to say something different to your customers. So what do you want to do about it? We not only need to make it look good and communicate what it is, but in today's world, we need to help the business owners get past some of the cluster that they don't know that they're fighting against to get to an answer that they know is going to work. So that process helps them detangle some of the issues that they might be having or thinking through. So at the end of the day, the product itself, the, the, the label or the bottle looks really good and it works, says all the right things and the website says all these things. But meanwhile, their team, also the ones that follow within the process, understands like, oh, I get it. I could do my job better when I'm doing these things because I understand that they don't have an ill will about like, oh, they didn't listen to me. It's like, well, we did. But let's talk through this part, but you understand why. It sounds to me like there's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of feeling out what the the company wants. And it also sounds to me like a lot of times you, you may have clients that don't even know themselves really what they want, or they think they come in through the door, they think we want this. And you're going, okay, but by, by what you described to me, you don't want just this, you want this and this as well. So it, it, it sounds like there, there's probably a lot of scope creep as well, though, too. Somebody may come in only wanting to spend so much money or wanting to do this, but in reality, you're saying, well, it's not going to work that way. You, you actually need to look at the bigger picture. So it sounds like communication is huge, and it sounds like it, it's, it's a lot of back and forth. I would say the most successful agencies or designers or teams out there, they 
are helping the clients to see more. And then sometimes they actually sell them less because once they untangle some things, then they go, oh, we don't really need that anymore. We're going like, you don't and you shouldn't. And so what helps them with their recommendation, there is part of design where it is about, hey, the client wants this and let's do everything in our power to spin their idea and make that the thing. And that's great and all too. I find that because of my rationalization and logic, I have a hard time going, wait, I don't understand that part. Your goal was this, but if you go here, it moves away from your goal. Tell me, am I missing something? Or is that just what you want? And if that's what you want, I'm going to foresee some issues when we're finishing the design on this because it might not be communicating what you're communicating, what you want to communicate. And so there's different approaches, but for me, this is the part, the engineering in me needs to understand the reason so that we could design for that versus make it look pretty. I'm curious though. Mm -hmm. So do you read a lot or how did you develop this expertise in figuring out what clients want? Is this just based on experience or again, do you read a lot or is it just collaborating with other designers? How did it all come about? For you? So I consider myself a generalist. I'm just kind of like naturally curious about anything about design. I do read, I don't read a lot of books. I read some books. My wife's introduced me to a lot more things that, which was really great. But before I was reading the books, I do read a lot of articles. I like some scientific articles. I like to know how things are done, how people might do some different things. And so when there's new processes that's come up in the industry, I like to understand that. I'd like to put it in action and try it out myself. After I read something, I'm totally willing to experiment and figure some things out and try it out for myself and or put my team through it. Or when I was at Horner Anderson, I, by changing the question, which the clients agree to, and I could get my team a directive to, <laughs> oh yeah, that question makes sense, how you're deciding to solve it. I could solve it in a more tangent way and they're okay with it. And so I'm trying out these different things. So, and all within the goal of solving the problem in a unique, memorable, different way and still satisfy all the criteria. But design is half art. So that's essentially what I do. I just try out all these different things all the time. I'm always willing to experiment on another way to do something and see somebody try to do something and try to analyze that process. Like which part worked great, which part didn't, which one can I apply to this situation and this situation. And so that's that's kind of like how, how I do it. It's interesting that you bring that up because you mentioned that when you were in school at Cornish College that you experimented a lot and that seemed to carry you throughout your career and that's what just helped you blossom or shine the way you have is you're you're curious and your curiosity has led you to experiment and just try new things as we're just heading into the last you know little bit here 
you left Arnold Anderson. Arnold Anderson. So you were there for six years. So after six years, you left there. So what, what did you end up doing then? Yeah, so I'd always wanted to have my own design agency or studio. And around year four at Horno Anderson, I still loved doing every single project. I got to essentially do everything I wanted to do all the time. I was like, what else is there? Even though they let me in all the client presentations and the meetings and I could essentially mostly do what I want, they weren't very good at mentoring about the business of design. And I wanted that part. I wanted to experience more of it. And so that's where I reached that plateau. And my next thing is I want to start my own business. I started to do a little bit of freelance work. And I met my first partner because he hired me to do a little bit of freelance work. And we kind of hit it off. He had a, a fledgling design company. So we became a partner. And I left and I started this company that was called Urban Influence and I reinvigorated it with him. I essentially jumped from just being able to handle some clients to full-time just having to do everything. That was a interesting learning curve. It was fun. The problem was he was the wrong partner. He was just someone that's unfortunately not as, as in sync the way to do business as I was. He is a sales guy and I thought, when I was at Horno Anderson, I was like, well, if you do a business, I was like, I don't want to sell. And I was like, it'd be great to partner with the sales business partner so that they could do all that work. That didn't pan out because we just were not the same person. And so I left that after a year. So I built up the business enough, trained up a designer, and I left. And I didn't want to go back to Horno Anderson, even though they said, you come back in whenever you want. And so I rented an office space to keep myself from taking another job. And I met up with one of my friend's previous co-worker from Horno Anderson, and he is a informational architect, essentially a, a web designer, engineer for websites. When I was doing websites at Horno Anderson, it was just kind of winging it. Nobody knew the exact process to apply, and the partners didn't really apply rigor to it. But the ability to work with Matt actually taught me a lot about the process of web design. And that's literally the engineering process. But now understanding that process and how it would be to like projects, that was really great to understand that where my work fused with that part. That, was, that became pretty clear. And so I started to get more traction myself. Then a couple of years later, I found another partner. She's a brand strategist, copywriter, and we renamed the company. The interim was called U Studio for a few years. And then I didn't want my last name to be attached to the name forever. And um, so we came up with States of Matter, um, which I, she came up with. And then I had to talk her into because my nerdy art side, design side and science, side, like, this is like the perfect name. It has two meanings. It's totally relatable. And so I loved the name immediately. And so States of Matter, we got it to be about six people with a bunch of other freelancers. And it was rough doing a small business, having that big of a headcount. That's the first time I felt the full weight of having a full team and responsible for so many people's lives. And it was just really, really tough. But it was fun at the same time. The design work was still great, but the, the business part was 
I found to be very anxiety-ridden. No, fair enough. It's a lot of responsibility. And I think you really hit on it. Just saying you, you realize the responsibility you have for so many lives, so many families. And I was reading about that and I've heard other business people say the same thing. It's a lot of pressure. But you've been in business for how many years now? By myself, probably 14. 14 years now. And you're still going strong. Yeah, we're doing great. I think it's up and down, but this year's looking to be a good year. I think it's, I think primarily is because my wife tells me I need to specialize and I have a hard time specializing because I just like doing all kinds of different things. So, well, you mentioned you're a generalist, which yeah. you, you really indicated, and it sounds like you really are. And it sounds like you've, you like to jump around, you like to do different things, obviously, because you've come from an engineering background. You've definitely dabbled in the arts, which led you down to maybe thinking of industrial design, which led you into branding, which is where you are right now. So with that said, as we're wrapping things up, you've thrown a lot of information at us for people that are listening that maybe want to do something, what you're doing, design, or are not even sure what they want to do. What kind of advice would you like to pass on to them? I like to say that it's really important that you acknowledge yourself and know that whatever you really really enjoy and can see yourself naturally and easily pouring your time into strive to test out that path because it's cheesy but it is so true the adage that once you find something that you love to do it doesn't feel like work and you're gonna make a lot of money you get the money is just gonna come and then but the best part is it won't even feel like work. I like the way you said that because you obviously it shows inside of you. Obviously, you love what you do. And it, even though you say you run your own business, it's a little bit tougher, but your voice definitely changed. I noticed you had a little bit more spark inside of you. You started talking about more of the design stuff when we got away from the engineering. I mean, I couldn't imagine you working as an engineer still. No, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that at all. Well, anyways, things have really turned out for you really, really well. And unless there's something else you would like to add, I really want to thank you for your time this afternoon, Henry. I think people will find this interview really, really helpful, especially anybody who wants to get into design for sure. Yeah, thanks. This was great. I would like to thank Henry for that open, honest, and insightful interview. Some of the key points from the interview are... Henry did admit that he did learn quite a bit at Purdue as skills transferred over to Cornish. Experiences are experiences, good or bad. We do learn from them and we carry them over, which is good. We are always learning, regardless of what we may think. Taking art history opened his eyes and he realized that art is important and it takes just as much work and discipline as engineering. It was not until he started pursuing the arts, he started to figure out what he could do with it. He did a lot of reflection on how he developed his career in marketing. It was not easy, but he loves what he does. This is why he suggests, it is worth trying and testing out your career path or your path to see what you like. Because once you do find what you like, the payoff will be high. It is worth the effort. In essence, be honest with yourself and follow your inner voice. It will not lead you the wrong way. And you may be surprised at how you can make a living. It's worth giving a chance or taking a chance.
With that, once again, I really want to thank Henry for that candid look of the ups and downs of his career and his life. Please tune in for the next episode of The Career Guy, where I am interviewing Rick Lindbergh, developing the soft skills in the technical world of IT. Also, for other blogs and interviews, please visit The Career Guy website, www.thecareerguy.ca. And thanks for listening.